population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello, welcome to the Doing Time. I'm Peter and Rhys is here. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And coming up on the show, we have first up Ken Cannings from Istja in Sydney. And Ken is going to be talking about an inquest and it's the inquest is regarding the Aboriginal death in custody of David Dungai. David Dungai. It's a shocking video has just been produced showing prison officers restraining the inmate before death. And this um, actually happened a number of years ago now. But the inquest into the death in custody, they showed footage of guards restraining Indigenous man and injection of midazolam. And we'll talk more about this with Ken, but this Aboriginal death in custody is another atrocity. And um, the, the video was played to a New South Wales coroner's court depicting five officers restraining a man who said 12 times that he could not breathe before dying. The court also heard a suggestion that attempts by health staff to resuscitate him were lost um, by the, the inadequate and interrupted care he received, which was so ineffective that any chance of survival was lost. So this is typical of the duty of care and lack of accountability not only of the health system, but also of the the guards. And so we'll be speaking more with Ken Canning about this. And then after that, we'll speak to Geraldine from the Refugee Action Collective, Geraldine Feller, and National Rallies, National Rallies, what am I saying, sorry, had a blank there, National Rallies called to bring refugees here after five years imprisoned on Manus and Nauru. Refugee supporters rallied on the fifth anniversary of Kevin Rudd's 2013 announcement of the PNG solution and called to bring the refugee and asylum seekers on Manus and Nauru to Australia. So we'll be speaking to her about that. Before we do that, just to recap, the Melbourne rally details were um, at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street, and it happened the Saturday just gone, but we'll speak to her more about that later. So Peter, I believe, is going to be doing some music and announcements while I line up um, Ken. Yeah, um, this is Aboriginal. I'm not sure if it's got... It's a language warning, but it might not be an language warning. Well, just in case. Just in case, yeah. And you're back with the Do and Time show, and we're speaking now with um, Ken Canning. Hi, Ken. Hello. Hello, Ken. Ken. Yeah. Yeah. Good, 
good. Uh, uh, thanks for having us on again. Yeah. Thanks First so time much. I've, I've done an interview on the train. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> on the train. Oh, no. oh well, you know, the the, list, the the people on the train can have a bit of an education. Hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that noisy. Hey? No, no, it's all right. So, Ken, um, just wondering if you could just talk to listeners about. David Dunguy, and I believe that there's been uh, an inquest into yeah. the Aboriginal death in custody. I was wondering if you could just give us a little bit of a bit of background and a bit of an yeah. update as to what's been happening. Well, the background is on the 29th of December 2015, David Dungay got um, two packets of biscuits, um, biscuits, to take to his cell that were his property, and... Uh, Somebody decided that he shouldn't have them in his cell. And they called uh, the, uh, what they call the riot squad. They got another name, IT something, IAT. And um, they extracted him from the cell over these biscuits. And in a matter of a few minutes, he was dead. They um, medesolin, they, uh, after restraining him with holding his uh, body down and Restraining his knees all over the body and chest and pulling the legs up and pulling his head back and having him scream numerous occasions, I can't breathe. They hit him with medicinal and he was dead 90 seconds, 90 seconds later, but the cause of death was actually asphyxiation. Uh, um, now, two and a half years later, we have a coronal inquiry and it's in its second week now. I can't say too much about the crime inquiry, but some things have become obvious. Sure. Where prison officers have been inconsistent with their versions of events and uh, what happened. And, uh, you know, a simple question was put to one prison officer, what was the main problem? And I said, well, you know, there's uh, not the biscuits in the cell. Quite simply, said, well, you put to him, well, why didn't you go and just take the biscuits off him? And, uh, yeah, which... Seemed an obvious thing to do if that's what they didn't want him to have. The thing is, Dad was diabetic. He was using the biscuits to elevate his blood sugar level, which mm. had been dropping. Um, I don't know why they didn't want him to do that. That's something that hasn't come to light yet, but there's been a lot of things about uh, the medical staff in there seem to uh, appear to be um, more inclined to that it was the prison officers who were at fault and vice versa. So um, I think there's a bit of blame shifting going on here, but it becomes quite obvious they just didn't know what they were doing. Um, when Absolutely. you listen to some of the evidence, the, there was no training. None of them had been training in the thing called uh, uh, yeah. you know, restrained asphyxiation. So there's none of this, and although it was, there were reports given to corrective services um, some years before this happened, I think it's really interesting and just um, taking up your point about the lack of training, I've been actually reading some coverage from The Guardian and indeed I think it was... I think we've got some technical difficulties here. We'll get him back. um, Ken back. Yep. I'll put on a song. Okay. As Prime Minister of Australia, I am sorry. Coming live to you from the Aboriginal Ten Embassy in Canberra as part of the Sorry Day Convergence. And here comes Gilla. How you going, Gilla? How's it going? Uh, All you listeners down Melbourne, and you're missing a great time up here and uh, a great day. 
subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio station, bringing you coverage of community issues and events. We need your support. Call 9 419 8377 and subscribe today. We can't face the future now until we face the sorrow. I feel hopeful, I feel grateful, I feel sorry. As an Aboriginal person, let me shake your hand. Thanks very much for being here today. Thank you very much. No worries. And you're with 3CR's um, Doing Time Show. I'm Peter and Marissa's here. Um, we've Hi. just got Ken yep. back on the line. Hello, Ken. Ken. Hello. Someone definitely doesn't want us to talk about Aboriginal deaths in custstody. Hi, Ken. Got on the train, there he is. Yeah, yeah Ken, it was a bit of lack of reception there. Terribly sorry yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, no. That's, that's, that's all right. I was just good. saying to Peter that someone does, or in the listeners, someone <laughs> yeah. does not want us to talk about David. Yeah. Well, I think that, that, that <laughs> I, you know, with, with, how I, with how I read it, I, you know, they, sh- they should be ashamed of themselves too, you know. Too, well, I think mm. when we're talking about a death in custody, I think that's too polite of a word, you know. Absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's a killing or a murder in custody, and somebody has to be held accountable for this. Um, yeah. When I saw the CCTV footage of what I call his execution, um, just on that alone, I would have had a, every last one of the people involved in that charged. Yeah, and, shocking. Uh, um, it, it, you know, the Guardian ran it, so it's, it's you know, out there in the public, people have seen it. And I think people can be judged for themselves that um, he is screaming that he cannot breathe. Yeah. And their answer to him is, you, if you can talk, you can breathe. What a what a callous answer to have. If you can talk, you can breathe. But you can hear by the tone in his voice, he's struggling to say, I cannot breathe. He's, he's struggling and he is gasping for breath. And in the in the um, CCTV, he comes to, becomes totally unresponsive. That was the time of his death. It's you know, extremely they were, they were standing there still strangling and hitting him with injections until he died. That is a state-sanctioned killing. Whether they want to be ruled or not, that's what it is. And if they don't bring justice to these issues very soon, they're going to face the wrath of a backlash from the public. This is, this is one that's been in the public eye. And there are a lot of people who are watching this very closely. Now, if I were... If I were the New South Wales uh, uh, criminal system or justice system, I'd be ensuring that somebody pays for this. The media has been all over this. It's all over. It's gone up. The, um, the CCTV footage of his death has gone all over America, so it's gone globally. And goodness knows where else it's gone. So you know, people are watching this one. And I think there's going to be a big backlash if we find yet again another man is murdered in custody and the authorities are not held accountable for it. Well, the video was actually quite shocking, as Peter said. And yeah. indeed, Ken, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was quite graphic footage, wasn't it? And oh, it was, yes, yes. It, it, yeah. it went for eight minutes, and it began with officers from an immediate action team at Sydney's Long Bay Jail rushing Dungai's cell and restraining him face down on the bed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, I think we'll, um, what we need to do, I up. mean, is actually perhaps call Geraldine. 
um, Jordine and He's back probably. Yeah, because otherwise we're just going to be it's just going to be really difficult to interview him. But just a few concluding comments there. Um, basically, what happened with with David Dungay is that he was transferred to another cell after that, where he was restrained again, injected with a powerful sedative and a few minutes later stopped breathing. So the video was played to the court until the moment Dungai became non-responsive. Yeah. And the court will hear from a number of witnesses, including expert testimony from an emergency physician, Professor Anthony Brown, who will testify on his finding that a failure by staff to adequately, to adequately administer first aid removed any chance of survival for Dungai. It's online too again. Yeah, one more time. One more time. One more time. We'll try one more time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you <heard> <laughs> But this is good. We're continuing. So, so are there any other things you actually want to say, Ken? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the question was posed in court to one of the officers. Um, if it, the biscuits were the problem, why didn't you just go and take the biscuits? He couldn't give us a, a sufficient answer. Yeah. The, 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 you know, the, there's a lot of serious issues here. Is Again, this same officer, the question was posed. You're a prison officer. Um... There were, he was in uh, the psych unit of uh, Long Bay Dale and um, in G Ward, and he had become aggressive uh, verbally, not physically, mm. and uh, as it was put to officers and as it's been put to other staff, that uh, in a psych unit people do become verbally aggressive. That's nothing unusual. The officer was asked why didn't he um, ask the trained psychiatric nurses on... Uh, hand or a psychiatrist who were on hand Correct. to yeah. talk to him and try and de-escalate the situation rather than do a self-extraction. Yeah. And the officers sat there and stated, well, in my uh, experience, psych nurses and psych staff only worsen the issue. Now, that's a lot of rubbish. That is rubbish. This is a man trying to get himself out of trouble. Yep. Mm. You can't have trained staff sitting on there who have expertise dealing with people with mental health issues and the uh, officer knew he had a mental health issue you can't have trained staff sitting there not utilising if somebody who's not trained decides to make a decision between themselves to do a cell extraction which ended up in his death Absolutely. So that in itself is that they are culpable of his killing yep. it's as yeah. simple as that you know, they, if, if the coroner does not find some culpability from corrective services for the state of New South Wales, this will be again yet another injustice thrown down the throat of Aboriginal people in this in this country. We've had, I mean, we've had enough. It's been 14 years since T.J. Hickey was murdered at the hands of the police, and we still haven't been able to get a proper investigation into that. Um, we have unanswered um, unanswered questions of why um, Rebecca Maher, 12 months ago, just over 12 months ago, was picked up. In Maitland, no charges laid. Six hours later, she's dead in a cell in Maitland. Nobody's been told why yet. This is killing because of one reason, our race. We're being killed because we're Aboriginal. Uh, yeah, that. and Miss Dew as well. Miss Dew. I mean, we saw the footage of that. We've got two graphic footages we've seen in the space of the last 12 months of people being executed by one by West Australia, one by New South Wales, who's held accountable? Has there been criminal charges? I find it astounding that 230 years of occupation, we haven't had a police officer or a prison officer ever found guilty of the death of an Aboriginal person. 
and given the higher amount of deaths. That's something that should be setting alarm bells off in the United Nations right now, but they, but they don't care. They don't care about Indigenous peoples globally. They're only serving big business themselves. I mean, we've got two sides of Parliament, Liberal and Labor, who wouldn't even know David Dungay ever existed. But what do they have to take the biscuits away for anyway? Oh, because you know, it, you know, somebody decided that um, you, know, you shouldn't have them. I mean, ridiculous. We've, we've got a person killed over uh, a pack of, two packets of savoury biscuits mm. because somebody decided that he shouldn't have them. That he shouldn't so have property, them. He was entitled to have them. Somebody, somebody's made a decision somewhere along the line that they didn't want him to have them. But then, yeah. you know, the right squad has called in to extract him from the cell. Yeah. That, you know, this is unheard of. We, if you go back to 1978, we had the Naga Royal Commission into violence against inmates in New South Wales prisons. They dealt with all this. They dealt with taking people from cells and how they extracted them themselves and how they brutalised them. They dealt with the illegal injections of prisoners. They dealt with all that in 1978. And you'd think all these years later, they wouldn't be doing it. They're still doing it. Despite it, a yeah. massive royal commission into brutality against inmates yep. in New South Wales prison system. It definitely is brutality, Ken. And oh, yeah. in, in fact, you know, one of the things that, perhaps we do need to draw attention to listeners with as well, is that apparently after council, um, the Commissioner of Corrective Services told the court via a statement through the lawyer that a number of policy and procedural changes have been made because of Dungai's death, including a new use of false policy. But, I mean, what what does that mean in practice? Well, you know, they're they're saying... uh Things have changed, but they've had they've had all the information about um, asphyxiation, holding people down for many years now. You'd think they would have made these changes a long time ago. There has been inquiries about this. Yeah, it's 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 really crazy. And and in fact, you were talking before well, about lack of training before it got uh, up, cut, cut off, Ken, about lack yeah, of training. So, and you know, yeah, so you know, yeah. they've, they've had they've had experts telling them about positional asphyxiation, they call it. Yeah. And uh, in court, though, an expert was saying he did inquiries in the past with 1998. He had written in uh, some three years ago reports of corrective services. So, no, it's all right. Uh, three years before the death of David Dunley, Um It's all right to say now that they're, they're putting procedures in place. They had the information prior to the death and they didn't lift a finger. Um, they didn't train anybody in a, a positional fixation. One person who was there on the cell extraction had been trained on positional asphyxiation, yet corrective services has been ha- having reports about this thing for, for the last 20-odd years. Very what, dangerous. They, how, long, how long do they have to be told? Exactly. Are, they, are these people just blatantly callous or are they so blood stupid? That they can't read a report? Absolutely. Or do they just don't care? I, I think the later, they just don't care. It's extremely dangerous to put someone in that position. Oh, it is, and it's been proven time and time again. It, look, it goes back to the commission. The brutes were let loose in the system, and they're still there. Exactly. And 
despite the fact that they've said all these years later that we're... Well, so now, now everybody knows where I'm at. I'm near Strathfield. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, I yeah. think that's where we'll have to leave you, Ken, because yeah, we're running late yeah, for our so, next interview. Well, but, uh, yeah, it's just a shame. I'll just, uh, I'll just leave with this. Uh, last thing is the yeah. David Dungo's genius family have been so brave. Good. And if any justice comes out of this, it'll be because of their fight for the um, mm. injustice done to their son, uncle, brother. You know, it's just it's they've been standing up in the face. But you know, if something comes out, they will be the heroes of the struggle. Yeah. Absolutely. And in fact, his mother's very happy that the video has, you know, she wants yeah. that video to go public. Yeah. yeah, and she has been happy, and she's been so strong. Yes. She's been keeping everything together. For the time of Dungo, you know, oh, she gets my uh, award for the Brobie's Medal of the Century, I think. Uh, I think so. so strong. Yeah. And we need to uphold the, the yeah. recommendations of the Royal Commission. Yep. Yeah, yeah we've, got to, we've got to start getting serious about that. You know, we can't keep having our people killed in custody like this. And we've also got to get rid of the thugs out of the system. That's you can't exactly have right. in uniform being responsible for people because that's what that's how killings happen. You got thugs in uniform, get rid of them. If I if I assault somebody, I go to jail. If they assault somebody, they get a pat on the back. Exactly, and that's and they this stand is where... there and laugh to each other about it. You know? It's institutional. Go right through corrective services, prison, police yeah. officers, everything. Anybody who's uh, a thug, get rid of them. Get them out of the system. Correct. And yes. those of their colleagues, when they see them doing something. Have the guts to have them charged. Stop being cowards and hiding behind your little poor excuse of saying, uh, we, we've got a brotherhood here, we've got to stand by each other. Brotherhood, yeah. An excuse for cowardness. It's basically institutional racism, really. Yeah, so, you know, anybody who's witnessing an assault and doesn't do anything about it, well, that's a criminal act, so you shouldn't be in the job, get rid of it, get them out. Absolutely. Ken, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Thanks and, um, for having me again, and I'll be taking off uh, two days' time for the Philippines for about, I'll be back next January. So. Oh, oh really? well, this is, this is wonderful. <laughs> I'll be having a good break. <laughs> Have a wonderful break. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. Take care thank of Ken. Have a Take care. fun. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Ken... Ca- Ken Cannings from the Istja Sydney and Istja do some wonderful work and as people are aware Ray Jackson was actually one of the the founders of Istja in Sydney and he's um he's passed away as people know and Ken was talking about Aboriginal deaths in custody and about David Dungai and we discussed the particulars of the inquest which will be going on for a bit longer and we better now um cross over to Geraldine Feller from the Refugee Action Collective to speak about um Manus Island and refugees. Um, Peter, I think you'll do some music. Yeah, we'll just go to the song um, Waru Fire by Rompy Band. And you're back with the Doing Time show and pretty soon we're going to be speaking with Geraldine from the Refugee Action Collective. But before we do, just to introduce listeners to some preliminary material, July 19th marks five years too many for the refugees and asylum seekers detained on Manus and Nauru 
and there have been 12 deaths offshore there in that time that the Australian government is responsible for. It's over two years since imprisonment on Manus was declared illegal. It is over one and a half years since the US deal was announced, yet around 1,600 refugees and asylum seekers remain on the prison islands. And the majority are blocked by Trump's racist travel bans. Yeah, hi, Geraldine. Welcome to the program. Hi, how are you going? Great. It's welcome to the program, and thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Now, Geraldine, I'm wondering if you could just give a little bit of background about what's happening. Just give us an update and talk about um, the rally and and why um, why it's happening, or why it has happened, actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, as you um, kind of outlined for us already, uh, the... The horrors on Manus and Nauru are continuing. Uh, we have, you know, it seems now every couple of months we have the dreadful news that another refugee has died in detention. Um, we know that the incidents of abuse and neglect are ongoing um, and it's been five years now for those refugees living um, with very little hope, most of them in mouldy tents on Manus and Nauru. Um, so the rally on Saturday was a statement um, to the government, to the Turnbull government, that it's been five years too long, 12 deaths too many, and it's time to close the camps and bring all those refugees here immediately to safety. It really is appalling, Geraldine, and one of the things that I'm quite concerned about is that refugees and asylum seekers have been used so long as political footballs. Mm. And I think, and I'm wondering if you could just talk about that in the context of the fact that as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show, it's the fifth anniversary of Kevin Rudd's 2013 announcement of the PNG solution. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, could you talk about that? But also, um, I wanted to draw attention to the listeners that even after that announcement, the Liberal government has done absolutely nothing to try and, and squash that. That's right, that's right. And I think what we can see, you know, across Australian politics is that Turnbull and Dutton are very happy to use anti-refugee racism and, in fact, just general racism against people from different backgrounds and from different countries to try and distract from, you know, the the cuts that they're making to our health and education um, and their general incompetence as a government. Um, I think, you know, people in in Melbourne especially will know, like, the way Dutton has been trying to drum up anti-African racism, which is linked to the anti-refugee racism, um, basically to try and intervene in the state election um, and and to try and make the the Liberals somehow, you know, look look tough on crime or some kind of imaginary problem. And really, you know, all all it does, as I said before, is just, you know, bolster their own own government or, or try to bolster their own government um, and, and distract from the fact that, you know, for, for ordinary people in Australia, whether you're a refugee or not, Turnbull and the Liberals are doing very little, actually, to, to make our lives easier. Uh, and what they're doing to the refugees on Manus and Nauru, um, you know, certainly certainly doesn't help that. Definitely not, Geraldine. And, in fact, we spoke to Liz Walsh a couple of weeks ago about how um, Labor is now uh, possibly talking about stopping the boats, although the policy is a little bit mm. vague. Mm. And I suppose I'm just trying to get my head around it and mm. trying to work out what's happening with Australian politics because, mm. you know, you, you've got a Labor government that really 
when the Gillard government was in, really tried to get in the, you know, to work with the Greens back then mm-hmm. um, in regards to having, you know, offshore processing out of the agenda. And mm-hmm. then you had Rudd doing the PNG solution because mm-hmm. he didn't want to lose votes. Mm. And you do know what I mean. And then you've got the the Liberal government now, whose 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 hands are, are definitely not clean. That's right. That's right. I think it's important, yeah, that we, you know, right now it's Turnbull and it's Dutton who are responsible for Manus and Nauru. Like yeah. they've, you know, it's Dutton who has the blood of you know twelve refugees on his hands. But um, I think. Uh, the, the question of Labor is a very important one coming up to the election because people want to throw the Liberals out and rightfully we want to see the back of Turnbull. Oh, yes. Um, and I think it's only going to... A Labor government will only mean something good for refugees if we have a really strong pro-refugee voice both inside and outside the party. And, you know, it was, it was very disappointing when Anthony Albanese recently came out and said he was for stopping the vote. That was desperately disappointing for many people in the Labor Party because we know that the vast majority of Labor members and supporters actually support refugees and want to see Madison Nauru closed. And in fact, just a day before the refugee rally, just last Friday, the Australian Council of Trade Unions um, reaffirmed their commitment to closing Madison Nauru uh, and and, um, to bringing the refugees here to safety. So I think within the Labor Party... There is a very live debate about the next step forward um, and and um, how how to you know how how to actually answer the question of refugees. Um, and I think what we have to do as a movement is to lift up those pro-refugee voices uh, within the Labor Party to bolster them, to tell people that if you're a Labor member and you are, you support refugees, you are welcome in our movement and we want you to speak out. Um, and that's the only way that we're actually going to see real change. Yeah, because that, that's what I, I was um, reading about too, that, that Labor does support refugees and asylum seekers and indeed, you know, don't believe in, in detention. Does, sorry, say that again. Labor appears to support refugees and mm. asylum seekers and don't want detention for them. Well, I think that a lot of Labor members and supporters, that's right. But unfortunately, the leadership of the Labor Party only see it in terms of very narrow electoral things. They have this idea that they've got to chase the Liberals to the right, chase the Liberals with their racism to try and appeal to voters. When actually, you know, we need a Labor Party that is progressive on the question of refugees, you know, as well as being progressive on workers' rights and, you know, on, on, you know, funding our social services and those kinds of things. Like, the, the two can go hand in hand. We can be pro-refugee, pro-health and education, pro-our schools. That's great. And, and in fact, of course, we can't forget our Indigenous people as well, that, mm. you know, to, that, that in a way, you know, the Aboriginal people are refugees in their own country. And, um, and, and in fact, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Ray Jackson and a number of other Indigenous elders had a passport ceremony mm. Um, quite some time ago now, but that's been a legendary um, thing as well. Yeah, that's right. I, I remember going to something similar in Sydney when I lived there. Yes. Yeah. That's, <laughs> it was wonderful, it, very moving. It was lovely, wasn't it? Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I just couldn't help laughing today, laughing sarcastically. Um, I have to say this on air. Um, Malcolm Turnbull went to Tennant Creek. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, seriously, he's mm. going to Tennant Creek. He doesn't even support um, treaty, yeah. right? Yeah. He, he goes to Tennant Creek to, you know, to look at the social problems. Yeah. The social problems. What would he know about that stuff? Well, I'd like Malcolm Turnbull to go to Nauru and look yeah. at the social problems that he's created there. Thank you. If he wants to know about social problems. <laughs> Why doesn't he go to Nauru? That's what I was going to say. So mm. he goes to Tennant Creek. But he, he should be going to Nauru and, and Manus Island. Perhaps he needs to, to spend a night there. Oh, well, look, I'd, I'd welcome Malcolm Turnbull spending a night in a mouldy tent on Nauru. In fact, he could spend more than a night there. <laughs> I mean, see, what what does it all mean, Geraldine? Where, where, what direction is Australia going to go? I mean, it's embarrassing mm. because Australia is really the breeding ground and the the research centre to leading the way now for the way that America is dealing with the the, the refugees there, and, and in in particular with the the Mexican families. That's right, that's right. I mean, really, I think um, one of the Tamil activists here in Melbourne said it best the other day when he said, Dutton trumps Trump when it comes to separating families. And that's right. Like, the Australian government separates families, whether it's on Nauru, whether it's in our own community, um, when, you know, they rip uh, Tamils out of the community and put them in detention, often separating them from their children and partners. Um, this is like daily life in the Australian Immigration Department. It's daily work. So it is, it is, uh, very concerning. But I think the main thing is like if the, if the rest of the world is taking their cues from Turnbull and Dutton, then that's all the more reason for us to fight them. It's all the more reason for us to mobilize against them, whether it's in the rail, you know, the rallies, the snap actions, whenever the opportunity comes up, you know, uh, we, we can we can and should play a, a serious role in actually um, standing up for refugee rights and turning the the racist tide. And to quote from the Refugee Action Collective's own media release, Prime Minister Turnbull has rejected New Zealand's offer of 150 right. places per year, and neither he nor opposition leader Shorten have other third country options. That's right. Yeah, because we're seeing that the the US deal. I think you said it earlier, it's not working. Like 350 refugees have been resettled in 21 months. Yep. And in that 21 months, we've had multiple deaths on Manus and Nauru. So, you know, it's a completely unsustainable, unrealistic solution, especially, you know, it's an impossible solution, in fact, for any refugees from countries like Iran or Somalia who, under Trump's racist laws, will never be able to be resettled um, in, in the U.S. because they're from a Muslim country. So the, the U.S. deal, it's a joke and it's, it's, it's completely unviable. The only solution, and Tur- Turnbull knows this, the only solution is to bring them here. Uh, and it's going to take a fight, but I think, I think we can win it. I think so too. And look, do you have a couple more minutes, Geraldine? Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Because you touched on, um, Anthony Albanese and you were talking, he's, he's the parliamentary leader of Labor's left, is he? Really? Is That's he? right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and he, and you were talking before about how, um, he fell into line with Bill Shorten opposing time limits on offshore detention and supporting mm. boat turnbacks. Mm. Now, it's interesting because didn't he say in 2015 that 
he couldn't turn back an asylum seeker boat at sea? He did. That's well, right. What's this about? Boats. Well, you know, I think I think it's part of a general um, kind of crackdown on the Labor caucus, like Sam Shorten uh, engineering votes essentially um, at conference to make sure that their position on refugees, that you know, their bad position on refugees and on Manus and Nauru uh, is maintained. And I think really what it shows is the growing gap between the membership of the Labor Party and their leadership. Because people put a lot of hope in Albo. They put a lot of hope in Albanese and think, you know, um, and have historically thought that he represents a more humane face of the Labor Party. Um, but this, yeah, Shorten, I think, is really trying to essentially... Um, Squash that dissent there, but I do think that despite Albanese backflipping in that way, and it is a, a bitter disappointment to people, I think despite that there is real, there is still hope. And I think, like, like I said before, the, the Australian Council of Trade Unions have reaffirmed their policy, which is a very good policy that is about closing Manus and Nauru, it's about bringing the refugees here. Uh, the trade union movement at the rally on Saturday, we had a big bunch of flags from the CFMEU. Mm. I saw people from the IEU, people from the Nurses Union, people from Labor for Refugees. Like There is real dissent within the union movement and within the Labor Party. Uh, and I think, you know, um, when people speak out and when people you know, take a stand for refugees, whether it's inside the Labor Party or outside, that can have real change and it can shift it. Who were the speakers at the rally, Geraldine? So we had um, Lavanya from uh, from the Tamil Refugee Council and Lavanya Thavaraja, and she spoke very well about the um, uh, the particular threat of deportation that um, Tamils in the community face. Uh, we also had Steph May from the Greens. Um, we had um, Beiruz Bachani, who did a live cross for us from Manus. And we also read a statement from Luke Hilakari, who's the Secretary of Victorian Trades Hall Council. Um, he read us a, a statement of solidarity. So he, he was unable to make the rally because he was really sick, but, but he sent us a very strong statement of solidarity and support. The other, po- Thank you so much. The other positive thing is that I believe that Immigration Minister Peter Dutton has had to be forced by the courts to bring suicidal children to Australia. Uh, yes, there has been a few instances of that, and we've also seen um, Ali, the refugee who was recently brought to Australia for palliative care. Um, Lovely. And it's, it's, I'm glad you raised that, because I think these are all examples of where people standing up for refugees can really make an impact and help. So Ali, who was on Nauru, uh, really sick, uh, dying, actually, and desperately in need of palliative care. The morning that he was, before he was brought to Australia for, for care, uh, Dutton went on Sky News and said he would never make an exception um, for a person that opened the doors to, to, I don't know what it opened the doors to, maybe compassion, but he wasn't going to have that. Um, and doctors, I think 2,000 doctors signed a petition calling to bring him to Australia and 25,000 other people. Uh, and as a result, he was actually brought to Australia. So I think there's quite a few examples like that where when people speak out, um, the government is actually forced 
to concede some ground. So it, it definitely gives some hope. And I believe there's around 130 children still on Nauru. That's um, right, yep. Damaged by five years imprisonment. Yeah. Actually, I, I have to... Yeah, look at this. Uh, the, the media... You've got, you guys have done an amazing media release here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And it's so informative. You know, you, mm. you, you know how to really research. Um, Labor must step up to refugee bashing and Trumpism in Australia. Yep. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> if UK Labor Jeremy Corbyn can do it in the UK, Shorten can do it here, stand up to Turnbull and agree to put an end to the suffering. That's right, yep. It's pretty cruel. Look, there's a lot of cruelty, isn't it? And Yeah. You know, um, we have to say that these are, these are offshore political prisoners. Mm. Yeah, yep. Look, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Geraldine. Are, are there any final comments that you'd like to make about this? Um, no, I think that's all. I, I would like to encourage any listeners to get involved in the refugee movement. Tell um, us how. Well, the Refugee Action Collective meets every, uh, every Monday at 6.30, so I'll be on my way pretty soon tonight. <laughs> um, and we meet in, on Elizabeth Street in the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Federation building there. So... Everyone's welcome at their open organising meetings uh, and you can find us on Facebook, um, flick us an email to find out more. And, yeah, really encourage you to get along. If you're a union member, we're having a special unionist refugees meeting next Tuesday. Um, so send us, uh, you can find it on Facebook, uh, send us a message and we can, we can give you more information. So, yeah, I think that, that's the main thing. If, you know, if you're passionate about refugee rights and you want to see an end to the policy, then... Uh, there's definitely a place for everyone in the movement. And when is the the state election for, for the Labor state election? The Labor state, it's coming up. I, no, I think it's in November. I can't off the head of top of my yeah. head, give a, a date, but um, yeah, yeah it would be soon. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for your time, Geraldine, and um, keep up keep up the good work. And what's the the web the website for the Refugee Action Collective? There, do you have that? It should be. I'll just. W. Uh, I should have had it. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So you're listening to the 3CR Doing Time Show. It's approximately 4:48, and you're listening to an interview with Geraldine from the Refugee Action Collective. So our our um, website is racvic.org. So it's quite easy to find if you just Google Refugee Action Collective Victoria. It's the first thing that comes up. So you shouldn't have too much trouble. And also, um, anybody that um, is afraid to go to restaurants, don't be afraid to go to restaurants with Africans. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely not. That's all part of the agenda, isn't it? The it's all part of the agenda. It's all part of the agenda with, as, as Peter said, just Migration. In, yeah, migration. I mean, stop migration. Yeah, and you were mentioning, Geraldine, before about, you know, about the, this election um, gimmick, if you like, that, that Liberal's doing about... The, the Africans and how there's all these home invasions with just Sudanese, which is not true. No, not at all. No. Jordan, yeah. thanks so much for your time. I better thanks get, let you get to me. that meeting. Thanks Thank a lot. Thanks for that. Thanks. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was Jordan Fellow from the Refugee Action Collective speaking about not only asylum seekers and refugees, but also giving us a wonderful commentary 
on what's happening with Australian politics and um, in regards to refugees. And indeed, we do need to, to bring them home. Should we go to a song now? Absolutely. And you're back with the Doing Time show. Yes, when indeed is are we going to stop this genocide? Mm. It's a pity that us mob has actually split up now, I think. Yeah. Um, but they were an amazing Aboriginal show. Cheerio to Rob out there. Thanks for playing that song for him, Peter. That's right. Um, it's approximately 4.55, I believe, and we're nearing the end of our show. We've got Beyond Zero up next very soon. Um, but before we actually say goodbye, I'd like to... Um, on behalf of the Doing Time Show, personally thank Ken Cannings from ISJA and also Geraldine from the Refugee Action Collective for coming onto the show. And indeed, um, we've had a, a lot of running commentary about many, many important topics today. Just to also remind listeners as well about Radiothon, um, it's not too late to donate. I know that tax time is over now, it's up, but still, um, if people haven't paid their pledges, could they please try and do so as soon as possible? Um, and, and for all the people that have pledged and donated, thank you very much. Um, we've got to double check, but I believe we have met our target for the Doing Time show. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, so it's approximately 4.56, isn't it, Peter? Uh 4.56 million. Yeah, it's approximately 4.56. And we're going to be going out with our theme song pretty soon, Black Fella, White Fella by yeah. the Rumpy Band. Um, also, just to remind listeners that the Doing Time show does have um, podcasts now. So if you've missed most of the show, um, yeah, very important, just go on the um, 3CR website www.3cr.org.au and access the podcast. So it's goodbye from Marissa. See you every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show. See you, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.